Oh, Father, you have heard many, many prayers this week, and this is another one that we hope and we believe that you will hear. God, I pray that you would, uh, we echo what Brady prayed, prayed, that you would give us good hearts, that you would transform our hearts through your love and through the power, the mighty power of your Holy Spirit. God, as your church, we have already been forgiven. We have already been um, brought and adopted into your family. And God, we rejoice so much that our sins have been washed away and that you are with us and you will never leave us or forsake us. No matter what we suffer, no matter what we go through, no matter what disappointments and struggles and heartaches are on this road that we have to walk, God, you have promised that you will always be with us. And that is something we don't deserve, but it's your goodness. It's your mercy and your grace, and we love it. We love you because you have loved us first. God, I pray for anyone who has been struggling to know your love and grace, that they uh, have maybe been running away. God, I pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would bring them back home today. I pray that you would fill each person who hears this message today with your peace and that they would hear your voice calling them through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Well, today we are going to look at the most infamous dinner in the history of the world. It's called the Last Supper, and it's, it's that Last Supper that we're going to be talking about of the, uh, the famous painting, um, famously inaccurate painting, but it's there nonetheless. Um, and uh, so we're going to be studying about that, its meaning, and, and what it, uh, how it really changed the entire history of the world. That's what we're going to be looking at today. Um, in our prison system, you guys are well aware that if you've been condemned to die, you get a last meal. You get kind of anything that you want for the last meal before your execution. And uh, it's, it's very interesting the choices that some people have made for their last meal. Speaking of last meals, Gary Gilmore uh, was the first man executed after the death penalty was reinstated in 1977. He chose hamburgers, eggs, potatoes, and bourbon. <laughs> Sounds like an uh, interesting meal. Ted Bundy, the serial killer executed in Florida, had a burrito and Mexican rice. Timothy McVeigh, executed in 2001 uh, for the Oklahoma City bombing, had, it, had two pints of mint chocolate chip ice cream. John Wayne Gacy was a serial killer who did a lot of bad stuff. Uh, he had Kentucky Fried Chicken, fried shrimp, french fries, strawberries, and a Diet Coke. He still couldn't pull the trigger and just get a regular Coke. He still had to have a Diet Coke. Um, and then this one is, is the funniest. Walter Legrand, executed in Arizona in 1999, asked for, get this, six fried eggs, 16 strips of bacon, one large serving of hash browns, a pint of pineapple sherbet, 
a breakfast steak, a cup of ice, 7-Up, Dr. Pepper, Coke, hot sauce, coffee, two sugar packs, and four Rolades. That is quite the breakfast. Well, this dinner is going to be the last supper, the last dinner that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, will ever have uh, on this, uh, well, during his life in this world. So let's set the scene of what's been going on, okay? Jesus has just lovingly talked with Judas, okay? And Judas was in the middle of betraying him, and Jesus pointed it out, and Jesus loved Judas and respected him. This was our last week's sermon, even to the end. And then Judas has made this full commitment in his heart to betray Jesus or turn away from Jesus or disbelieve all that Jesus was saying. He was never going to put his hope and faith in Jesus. So Judas leaves the dinner. He, he leaves right in the middle, okay? You know, when he's confronted about his betrayal, Judas decides to bail as soon as he can. He knew enough about the mission and the person of Jesus to make his final decision. And Judas's final decision was that he would never believe and he would never put his trust in Jesus, and so he bails. He would never choose to listen to Jesus, even though even though Jesus had nothing but grace and mercy for Judas. Nothing but love and respect and honor for Judas. This is what I feel about anyone who would reject the Lord Jesus today. Why? He has nothing for you except love and mercy and honor and respect. He wants to adopt you. He wants to make you his brother in the, the very family of God. He wants to bring forgiveness and grace and mercy into your life. Is that really such a big deal? Well, the problem for Judas is the same problem for us. In order for us to be part of this deal, we have to acknowledge and admit that we are sinners, that we are in need of a Savior, in need of all the things that Jesus promises and says that he would do for us. And that, that is a major blow to our pride, which is the thing that Satan has, has had as his strategy since the beginning. You don't need God. You can have pride in yourself and who you are and your decisions and your opinions. And God says, no, I'm so sorry. That's not the way that this works. It's my way. I have just determined the right way. And I will offer you life and grace and mercy but it's according to these terms that we're going to find about today. We're going to discover. Jesus, get this guys, is about to unveil a, a whole new covenant. A new way to know God and interact with God and receive God's blessings and be filled with his very presence. And Judas bails before he could ever find out about it. And that's what's so sad. Guys, you always have free will, just like Judas. 
God doesn't violate your free will. That's what makes you made in his image. It's, it's truly real. It's free will. So the question for us today, before we even look at our text, is are you going to bail like Judas before you can even hear what Jesus wants to give you? Or will you stay like the other 11 disciples and stay to hear his good news, his gospel, his new covenant? Will you stay to hear all that Jesus is going to do for you? And this doesn't mean that half of you are going to pick up right now and and walk out of church or, or, you know, leave wherever is being broadcast right now this church service. But you can in your heart. You can shut it down and bail like Judas when you say, I don't, I don't really care what Jesus wants to do for me. I don't care what God thinks. I don't care. And that act, that decision is exactly the same as the betrayal of Judas. And it leads towards a path of destruction. And for the ones who stay, what we're going to find out, what we're going to hear about is a glorious and wonderful good news contract that is made with us. It's called a new covenant. A new covenant. What is a covenant? Well, very simply, a covenant is a contract between God and man. There was an old covenant, and it didn't work very well. The old covenant, which we call the law, uh, said that we had to keep the Ten Commandments perfectly every day of our lives, from the day we're born to the day we die, in order to go to heaven. That was the contract. Okay? It, it showed what perfection was. Well, after a couple thousand years of people trying to do this, we found out that nobody ever did. Nobody could ever keep the Ten Commandments perfectly, and that was actually... God, God knew that that would happen. That was the point. People were never intended to get saved by keeping the Ten Commandments contrary to popular belief. The Ten Commandments are not there to show us the way to heaven. They're to sh- there to show us how far we fall short of God's heavenly standard and how much we need a Savior, a salvation, a Messiah, how much we need Jesus, uh, which is a different way to get to heaven other than you just keep the Ten Commandments and give it your best. That doesn't work. That's why during this whole time of the Old Covenant, God set up something called the sacrificial system uh, to show Israel, his people, that they would need something else other than the Ten Commandments to deal with their sin. And that's still the issue. They could place their faith in something besides their own performance to save them. And um, this whole sacrificial system pointed to a future fulfillment, a future sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice. And that sacrifice would be Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. Jesus is the fulfillment of this different system of how to have a relationship with God, not based on how we keep the law, but based on his works and his faithfulness in those works, not based on me or my faithfulness. And that is the glory 
and wonder of the new covenant is it offers me a new system, a new way to know God that is not based on how well I do, which is good news. That's why it's called the gospel or good news, because it's not based on me. If it was based on me, it would be bad news because I fail at everything I ever try to accomplish. But yet God didn't fail. Jesus did not fail. And that's why it is good, great news for us. Okay, quick Greek lesson for the day. Okay, there are two words in the Greek language for covenant. And this is really important for you to learn. There's soon theke, soon theke. And this word refers to an agreement made between two equals, each having a responsibility to this contract or covenant. <clears throat> that word is not the word that is used here in our text or the use, word that is ever used for the new covenant that God makes with us. This is the word diatheke, <clears throat> which refers to an agreement with terms arranged by only one party and the conditions benefiting the second party. So it's a covenant where one person does everything, pays all the price in order to set it up and to accomplish it, and the other person does nothing except receive the benefits. In the new covenant, I bet you could guess which party is which. God does everything, and we receive the benefits. This is called grace. This is how grace works. It's a free gift at all times. It is never something you can ever work for the moment that you feel or do something to earn grace. It ceases to be grace. Grace must always be a free gift given to someone who does not deserve it and has not earned it. And yet that's how God has chosen to deal with the sons of men in our day. He wants to give us his grace through what Jesus has done and bought and worked for on the cross. That's what he wants to give us. So let's see today how Jesus institutes and inaugurates the new covenant for all mankind. So let's look at our text. Mark chapter 14, verse 22. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup which he had, when he had given thanks and gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So that last part says Jesus is, is establishing something that he is going to finish. He is absolutely going to finish everything that needs to be done to make this new kingdom of God a reality. For hundreds of years, the Jews have celebrated this festival, this feast, this uh, holiday called Passover, with the lamb being killed. And you remember two weeks ago, we studied in depth the history of the Passover. And they did this to remember how God saved them from Egypt through uh, the blood of the Passover lamb. And they would sprinkle it on their door and then the destroying angel would pass over their home and not kill their firstborn child. And that was the last plague uh, upon Egypt. So in this one weekend, 
that we are studying that happened 2,000 years ago, Jesus completely changes this holiday, this program, this remembrance. He's going to completely renew it and change it. He would become the true Passover lamb. Okay, so instead of having actual lambs, you know, being killed, we have Jesus becoming the real final Passover lamb. So this feast would never again need any lambs to be killed. There's no more need to deal with pictures and signs when the real thing has come. Every Passover lamb that was ever slaughtered in the thousands of years before Jesus was simply a foreshadow and a point and a finger pointing to Jesus and what he would accomplish. So when he comes, we don't need those anymore. We can look back on the real thing in faith. And so since there's no more lamb, the focus of the meal that Jesus is instituting tonight changes from the lamb and his sacrifice to the bread and the wine. The bread and the wine. And it stays this way even to our present day. So instead of looking back at that, we're going to be looking more at the life of Jesus. The sacrifice of the lamb was in the past, but we need the effects of that sacrifice today, in our lives today. And so that's why we focus on the bread and the wine is because it helps us remember how it makes an impact in our lives today an application for today. We can and should remember the lamb, but Jesus teaches us that the best way to commune with God today is through remembering him as bread and wine. It's just the way Jesus says is best to remember him. So what does this all mean? Okay. His sacrifice as the lamb of God fulfilled all that the old covenant required. So Jesus doesn't just destroy the Old Covenant or rip it up and throw it away. It is done away with, but not because it was bad, but it needed to be fulfilled. And as Jesus dies on the cross, he actually fulfills every single part of the Old Covenant. And if it's fulfilled, then the contract has been satisfied and it can be done away with. And and there is now room to make a new contract, a new covenant. And so this new covenant is also now established upon the finished work of his sacrifice on the cross. The price has been paid for this new covenant. And this new covenant wasn't free at all. Remember, the old covenant was a a equal parts covenant. God says, you keep the Ten Commandments and I will do this. It was the soon theke type covenant. But the new covenant is a diatheke covenant where God does everything. And so he has to pay the full price for everything supplied in the new covenant. And that price was the blood on the cross. So get this. Listen and and realize what's happening here. In one act, Jesus fulfills the entire requirements of the old covenant and pays for and establishes the new covenant, all with one act of dying and offering his life as the payment on the cross. How brilliant is this plan? Doing away with the old and fully satisfying it 
and yet bringing in the new covenant, which is a major benefit to every single one of us. So let's look at some of this text again and dig a little deeper to see what Jesus has done for us. As they were eating, Jesus took the bread and he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them and said, take, eat, this is my body. So first we're going to look in depth at this bread and find out why Jesus says that this bread is his body. Well, as a representation of his body, um, it's perfect, okay? Now, side note, okay, the Catholic Church has taught for a few hundred years a thing called transubstantiation, and that is a big word that just means that they believe that when you take a bite of this bread and you trust in Jesus, that it literally becomes the body of Jesus. And, and same with the wine, it literally becomes the blood of Jesus magically being transformed into that as you put it in your mouth. This is not true. In fact, this is so not true that, that, that it's, it's heresy, okay? It, 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 it minimizes the sacrifice that was made by Jesus. It minimizes the role of faith on our part. Uh, what it does is it, it says that the sacrifice of Jesus is not over. And that becomes a, a um, consistent theme in the Catholic Church, that Jesus is not a risen Lord that's alive and, and conquered death. Jesus is a suffering Lord that always is suffering. And every time you take communion, you're making him suffer more, basically, um, which is not true. The, when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. And Jesus says, whoever believes in that sacrifice has everlasting life. There is no magic transubstantiation. Okay, but as a representation of his body, what we're going to study today is that the bread is perfect. It is a wonderful picture for us. Uh, and, and this bread was prepared the same way today as it was 2,000 years ago. What we have here is what they call matzah bread. Um, and you're going to notice some really striking similarities with Jesus as you look at this bread. First, it was unleavened. Uh, as we've talked about many, many times as we've studied the Bible, um, leaven was a symbol of sin. And so Jesus offered a sinless life. His body was sinless. And so um, uh, that's what kind of sacrifice and what kind of price was paid on the cross for this new covenant. Next, we see that it was scarred or striped by the fire of God's judgment. So as you look at the matzah bread, it would be put on the fire and it would have, it would have stripes of the grill, I guess you could say. And uh, the fire would cause these stripes on it. And that is a representation of the fire of God's judgment upon sin. And the body of Jesus bore the fire of God's judgment spiritually. You'll notice also that um, unleavened bread, matzah bread, has holes in it. Uh, and we see also that Jesus was pierced with nails and with a spear. Another perfect illustration of Jesus. And finally, um, the bread was broken. Jesus broke it. And uh, this represents Jesus' body being broken for us. So although the bread doesn't actually become the flesh of Jesus, uh, it is a very accurate representation of it. And our faith is not in some magical bread, 
Our faith is in the real, actual body of Jesus that was sacrificed for us. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 gives us some insights on this and helps us understand it. 1 Peter 2, verse 24. 1 Peter 2, 24. It says, Who himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. So there is this major um, work that happens when we put our faith in the body of Jesus being sacrificed. There's a work where our our, um, sins are bound up in that body. They're, 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 They're placed in the body. So if you ever have the enemy, the devil, come in and bring condemnation to you saying, look at what you've done. All you have to do is throw it right back and say, those sins that I did, and I was very wrong to do them, they have been placed in the body of Jesus on the cross, and they were punished there, and so they are now destroyed, they are gone, which is great news for me. God will not deal with me for something that he's already dealt with. God will not punish me for something he's already punished. And the body of Jesus proves that our sin can be forgiven. And then he says, by his stripes, you were healed. If we place our faith in this body that Jesus sacrificed, God says there is a great healing that happens in our lives. He does the healing. He wants to do the healing. And it is offered freely to us as a gift. By his stripes, we are healed. We are healed. All right, another point about the bread being unleavened, and this is really cool, is that this bread was um, freshly baked, but it soon gets very hard and, and so very difficult to eat. That's how unleavened bread works. These aren't like those um, um, fresh dinner rolls that you get that are so soft you know, this, this kind of bread gets hard. And this reminds us of this unleavened bread that gets hard quickly, of uh, Jesus being the bread of life every day that we're supposed to eat. Um, and what this is speaking of is our daily relationship with him and how we're supposed to daily eat of him, okay? We can't um, take him and save him from day to day. We need to have a fresh Uh, loaf, you could say, of Jesus every morning. And this is vital to a living relationship with God, is to get up and to spend time with him in the morning. We cannot merely store up the word of God in our our minds and, and think back on it every day. But no, Jesus is a living God, and he wants to have a living relationship with us every day. And we must daily partake of his word Uh, that bread, we need to eat that bread every morning or else our life will grow just like unleavened bread. It will grow stale and dry and not really satisfying. And how many times in our lives have we allowed our relationship with God to get stale? God has made an unbreakable promise to provide us with his living bread every day through Jesus and through his word. And yet we we, we don't believe. 
And it's almost like we go back to how Judas bailed instead of believing. And we make this choice, it seems like every day, are we going to bail on all that Jesus wants to give us? Or are we going to believe like the disciples? Are we going to bail like Judas? Or are we going to believe like the disciples? Well, back to our text. Then he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. So this wine that Jesus offered his disciples freely. This is the price that Jesus pays for the new covenant. It's nothing less than his blood. The most valuable thing in the world is the precious blood of God. The blood speaks of life. And so what this means is that it is the the life of Jesus being offered to us. It is the price for the forgiveness and grace that we all have. The price is his blood. So the wine was poured in a cup, and this wine was produced through violence. That's how they made wine. They crushed grapes under their feet or with tools. They would crush them to extract their juice, which you could say is their blood. Jesus was about the next day to be crushed by the full weight of the religious Israel and mighty Rome both working together to crush him. And more importantly, Jesus was about to be crushed by his own father. God Almighty would pour upon Jesus, his beloved son, all his wrath upon all sins that have ever been committed. Not just yours and mine, but every murder and every abuse and everything that has ever been wrong in the world, Jesus paid for. And he was crushed for it. When Jesus was on the cross, he literally became sin. If you remember back when Moses made the the pole and wrapped a snake around it, and he told the people, look at this snake. That was a picture of sin being held up on a pole. For all to look at. And that is a picture of what Jesus did. He literally became sin. And in 1 Corinthians 5.21, it tells us just that. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And that is simply the whole deal of the new covenant. Jesus takes all our sin upon himself, within himself on the cross. It is paid for and dealt with and crushed. And in return, he offers us his life, his blood poured out so that we might become the righteousness of God. That righteous life that Jesus lived is now offered to us, transplanted to us. So now that we've studied the the bread and the wine and how they remind us of all that Jesus did for us and was for us and all that he did 
to purchase this new covenant for us, we need to ask this question, well, what then is the new covenant? What do I need to know about it today? The new covenant is very simply everything that we ever need to be or that God intended us to be or God ever wanted to give us. And it's simply called grace. It is the new covenant of grace. It provides three big, big things that we're going to see real quick. It provides forgiveness for all our sins. It provides a real personal relationship with God. And it gives us an internal working of God, where God works inside us to transform us from the inside, working in our hearts, making us godly, Christ-like from the inside. And I get that list of three uh, things from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. And this is the last text that we're going to look at today, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. And it's an Old Testament chapter and verse that teaches us and explains what Jesus would do when he would come. And if you look at the, the, the little heading in your Bible above Jeremiah 31, 31, it says a new covenant. See, this was always the plan. God never intended us to live by the old covenant, but to live by the new covenant. And he explained it before it happened, what it would be, and this is what happened. He says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke. That's the old covenant, right? Though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquities and their sin will I remember no more. So there we see those three things. Forgiveness. He will forgive our iniquities and not remember our sins anymore. That's what Jesus accomplishes on the cross. Number two, a personal relationship with God. He said, no more will every man teach his neighbor saying, this is how to know God, but they'll all know me from the least to the greatest. It's a personal relationship with God that can only happen through what Jesus did on the cross. It's the only way you can know God, really. It is the only way. And third, the internal working where he said, uh, I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. And that is a work of God through the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. All of this happens and all of this was purchased for us through Jesus Christ on the cross. Now get this, for every season of our life, this new covenant works. The new covenant provides everything that we need for every part of our Christian life, our, our life. When we need to start a relationship with God, the new covenant is there to provide it. When you have been burdened with sins, when you've been distant from God, and when you've had an inside that has rebelled against God from the heart, God says, come to me. My cross is good enough. My cross paid for all of that. And if you place your faith in Jesus, you can begin a relationship with God that is real. 
the cross is sufficient for that. The new covenant is sufficient to begin a relationship with God. But also, when our relationship with God needs to grow, that it is also accomplished through the cross, through what Jesus has done on the cross. He can bring new forgiveness when we have failed and when we have fallen. When we feel distant from the Lord, the cross reminds us that it is not true, but we have been brought near to him through the blood of the cross. When we feel like we need an internal working of God, when our hearts have been distant or sinful, and we need to confess our sins, the the new covenant is good enough for us when we need our relationship with God to grow every part of our life, beginning and growing, and eventually the new covenant will come to fruition where Jesus said, eventually I'm going to eat this meal again in the kingdom. When everything is done, I will also do it with you. I will take care of all of it. Now, the cross is where this new covenant works. That's why this communion takes us back to the cross. That's why the bread reminds us of the cross, and the blood reminds us of the cross. The cross and what happened there is the living source of God's grace for me. So the death that happened on the cross brings life to me. Every day, that's how it works. His death brings me life. How does this work practically? Well, it's actually pretty simple. When I'm angry or sad, or discouraged, I must run to the cross. And there I can remember and be reminded of his love and compassion for me, his works that he accomplished. I can remember what my Savior has done for me at the cross. And communion helps us to go back there. Anytime that I'm prideful, I must run to the cross to remember my sin and the great cost that was paid for my sin. Anytime I am tempted, I must run to the cross because victory over temptation is only found in one place, and that is at the cross, remembering the price that sin cost God and the life that Jesus offers us. Only at the cross will you realize that you can have victory over the temptation of sin because the love of God is greater than any sin. It's only at the cross that we can be set free from every temptation. The cross is supposed to be my source of life and everything for me. The only question is, Will I believe in Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross, or will I bail like Judas? And this is a moment-by-moment question, guys, not a a one-time decision. He says believe, and it's in the continual, enduring sense of the word. Believe. Keep on believing. The cross is a source of life that can be continually believed in. In every day, in every circumstance, we choose to believe or bail like Judas. 
guys, this is not just another way to live. This is not uh, another path that God, you know, is offering you. You know, you can do it your way or you can do it this way, whatever you want. There is no other path to life. There is no other way to God's grace and God's mercy. There is no other way besides the cross. It is the one place we all must go, is the cross. All other paths lead to destruction. If there's any thought in your heart of, I don't need this, that is a lie. This is all that you need. And when we gather and when we have communion, when you get alone with yourself and you take some bread, some unleavened bread, and you take some juice and you remember him, that is the way to life. We need to remind our souls where our life comes from frequently. And that's why Jesus said, whenever you take this bread, remember what I have done for you. Come back to the cross because it's at the cross that you will find your life and everything that is needed for life and godliness has already been done for you. You don't need to plead with God to do more for you. It has all been done. And this is why communion or the Lord's Supper is so vitally important for believers to take part in. It reminds us of our path or way that we're supposed to do everything, which is go back to the cross. Jesus is the way. Jesus on the cross. Jesus giving his life. Jesus giving his blood. The new covenant of grace. The living Jesus is who we share a meal with and communion with in the Spirit when we have communion, when we take communion. And communion is a delight to anyone who knows him for real. But know this, there is a spiritual law. You are not allowed to have communion with God if you do not know Jesus, if you do not believe in Jesus. You may not participate. Now, there have been many um, people who fake it and say, yeah, I know Jesus. And so they walk up during church and they take communion. But in their hearts, their life is not found at the cross. It is found in their own performance. And I fear that many people throughout the church are faking it today that they really don't put their trust completely and fully in what Jesus has accomplished on the cross, but they, they just want to look the part. They just want people off their back. They maybe just want God off their back. And, and God is so good and patient and kind that he will have mercy and grace with that person for a while. But it will not be a path that leads to life. We must know and remember that the path to life is only at the cross. That's where the new covenant was bought and paid for and where it is freely offered to us every day. I believe maybe today is the day when you will turn and believe instead of bail like Judas, but actually put your hope and trust in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to pray for that right now. Jesus, I pray that you would 
By your power, make alive anyone who is dead in the Spirit. I pray that you would bring forgiveness and anyone who right now has it in their heart to ask you and put their faith in you for forgiveness, to anyone who puts that trust in you right now, I know that is not something that they are coming up with, but that is something your spirit is prompting them to do because you have made them alive to their great need and you are in the midst of making them uh, alive and forgiven by what was done on the cross. So if anyone out there today wants to Ask Jesus to forgive them. Know that that did not come from you. That was not an idea that was sourced from your brain. But that was something that came directly from God's Holy Spirit that we have been praying for and asking him to do. And I pray that you would do it with boldness and say, God, forgive me because of Jesus. God, make me alive. God, give me your new covenant. God, transform me. And I want to follow you. I want to be your son. I want to be your disciple. I don't even know why. But I know it's the right path. And I want to take a step on that path by faith in what Jesus Christ has done for me today. In your name we pray. Amen.